Coming up on Modern Veterinary Practice. Um, so I, I see it growing and becoming more and more important and, and really sort of less differentiated from bricks and you know, a normal traditional visit. It's, it's, it's very natural in all other aspects of our life to switch between in-person interactions, um, messaging, video, um, and, and that's how I see the experience uh, for vet, veterinary clinics working. Welcome to Modern Veterinary Practice. I'm your host and veterinary IT expert, Jack Peplow. In this week's episode, I'll be talking to founder and CEO of Vet Help Direct, Susie Samuel, about digital innovation and the future of teleconsults in a post-COVID veterinary practice. I'll also introduce you to Microsoft Bookings and explain how practice managers can use it to manage appointments and even shift management for the team. This week, I want to introduce you to Microsoft Bookings. If you have a Microsoft 365 subscription, then Bookings will be part of that. And I'd be willing to bet you probably aren't taking advantage of it in your practice. Bookings is a simpler way to organize your schedule and manage appointments. In fact, we think it's a fantastic tool for practice managers for managing appointments with suppliers and other team members, as well as using it for basic shift management with staff. It integrates with your Microsoft 365 or Office 365 calendar to help your suppliers and team members quickly find available times and avoid double booking. All you have to do is send them a link which means that you'll spend less time emailing availability back and forth and more times getting on with important tasks. You could even put this link in your email signature, making it even simpler to book. There is flexibility built into the app to fit a variety of scheduling needs across departments, individuals, and types of appointments. So you can create and manage multiple booking calendars, each with their own unique setup. This means you can set up different calendars for your vets, nurses, receptionists, etc. You can even create one for practice managers or partners if you share the roles with others meaning you can easily schedule meetings or group events without having to add individuals. Plus, suppliers and your team can even book in with your counterpart if you're not around. Not only can you access this via the web, but you can even download the Bookings app easily and free. And of course, with all Microsoft apps, it integrates perfectly with the rest of the 365 suite, so you can make your Microsoft Bookings meetings virtual with Microsoft Teams. Every appointment booked, as an online meeting creates a meeting link that everyone can join virtually from anywhere via Microsoft Teams. It truly is a game changer, and it's something I use with my team, customers, and suppliers daily, and it really does save me a huge amount of time. So check it out. It's called Microsoft Bookings. The Interview. Hi, I'm Susie Samuel. I'm the founder of Vet Help Direct and the CEO, and I'm also the founder and non-executive director of Vets Digital, which is a veterinary specialist marketing agency. Um, so I worked as a practicing vet for 13 years um, in a really wide variety of practices, owing to have having a husband in the Navy, uh, we had to keep on moving. Um, so I've worked in mixed practice, equine practice, small animal practice, um, and I set up Vet Help Direct in 2006, um, and it's grown and became my full-time job um, uh, a few years ago. Hi, Susie. That's quite a variety there. Um, welcome to the Modern Veterinary Practice podcast. Um, obviously, really excited to have you on the show today. How are you? I- I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, very good, thank you. So you're here today to talk to us about the future of telemedicine post-COVID-19. Now, I know that you are a staunch supporter of digital innovation in the veterinary sector. How did you first become interested in the subject? Um, So I first became interested through developing the interactive symptom checker, and that was back in 2006. Um, So I was, it just became really obvious working in practice that all of my clients really wanted to do the best thing for their pets and to make the best decisions. 
Um, but they just they just were finding that really, really difficult. So I'd get people that called me in the middle of the night over something that was non-urgent. And then I'd come in the following morning and find really sick pets who they should have called me during the night and they hadn't. So I wanted to help people with that choice. And um, it, it turns out that what I developed was actually what's known as an expert system, although I didn't realise that at the time, which is a, a very uh, sort of basic form of AI um, and then my experience in developing that platform and um, marketing it using digital marketing um, has what's got me into this world um, of technology. And, and I'm a really passionate believer that it can help reduce barriers um, and make it easier for clients to communicate with their vet. And that when it's easier for clients to communicate with their vet, that has all kinds of knock on benefits um, and, and ultimately results in better animal welfare. I couldn't agree more. So. In the past, we found that as a sector, um, and you may disagree with me on this one, but veterinary have been a bit slow on the uptake when it comes to embracing innovation in day-to-day practice. Now, having been an advocate for digital innovation for quite some time, how would you say this has changed in the past you know, year to two years? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people say that, that vets are, are slow to adopt innovation. And I think that's maybe a sort of... A, a very a sort of summary of a situation because actually what we've found yeah. is that there's some vets that are really forward thinking and really fast to adopt technology and I suppose it's a natural bias that we end up spending a lot more time with those veterinary practices um, so really since 2006 <laughs> we've we've been sort of immersed in the kind of really forward thinking and um, innovative vet practices who are very quick to embrace technology and really are held back by the lack of available technology and um, rather than by their mindset. Um, but I am aware that there are um, other practices that are, are maybe a little bit slower to adopt the technology. I think we've also got to be mindful of the massive challenge that exists for vets. They've got to, most of them actually practice as vets um, day in, day out, looking after their clients staying up to date with clinical knowledge, surgical knowledge. It's a really, really challenging job. A lot of them are running businesses alongside that. So they're trying to do CPD to learn how to be business people. Um, And then at the same time, they need to keep up with technology and with digital. Um, And that's a real challenge. Um, And actually, I've been massively impressed at vets um, over COVID, how agile they've been and how flexible and how they've really tried to adapt fast to provide the best services for their clients and as I say I think they are um, a lot of the ones and as I say I think there may be a bias in the practices that I deal with but but they are held back really by what's available to them at the moment. No no I couldn't agree more I mean it's it's been an extremely difficult time for everyone but um, you know especially within the veterinary world and I, I've, I've seen this firsthand um, you know sort of working night and day and and like you say having to adapt as much as possible and in some cases be put into circumstances where they don't really want to be you know where everyone else has you know almost had to step away from their work and things have been cut down in some ways you know in the veterinary world it's sort of got more intense um which you know you have to take your hat hat off to everyone within the veterinary sector um now sort of on that point uh, around the uh, veterinary practices where you have uh, noticed they sort of massively embrace the technology um what what would you what would be your advice around getting the most from say telemedicine platforms? Well, it's interesting because I was I was just thinking as as you were just speaking um, then, Jack, that actually um, what you're doing is amazing, and and I think that the veterinary industry has been waiting for a service like yours for a very long time, and I, and I think that 
one of the hallmarks of the practices that we work with that are forward thinking is that they're prepared to outsource things to experts and to be aware that they don't have time to master it all themselves. And that although they could, and you know, they, they've all you know, sort of got the intellectual ability to get around all of this stuff, but they actually that's not the most efficient way to do it. And actually, you know, outsourcing to experts and and is is a really fantastic way forwards. And um, so I think what you're doing has got potentially huge benefits. Um, I think um, in terms of um, telemedicine, um, we, we saw people um, sort of just adopting, understanding that the best way that they needed to adapt to offer vet practices to be able to communicate with them um, in yeah. uh, the clients to be able to communicate with the vet practices in the way that they felt most comfortable and safest during COVID. I've got a feeling I haven't quite answered your question there. No, 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 that's fine. No, to be fair, I, I'm I'm in agreement. I think that outsourcing is is a really, really key component. I mean, we can't be all experts at everything. Uh, I mean, I, certainly I'd never want to put my hand to family <laughs> medicine. I think I'd really struggle there. I'll, I'll stick to what I'm good at. Um, so I think that definitely has a, a key part. And I think that the other thing that we've noticed, especially, and I'm sure it's, it's very much the case for you guys, is how the technology is adopted. Um, I think you have to sort of go in with that clear mindset of, right, this is what we want to achieve and this is what we're trying to, you know, to tackle and having a clear plan of how you're going to get that technology in there. Because where we've noticed particular um, veterinary practices struggle with the technology and almost not adopt it um, and not embrace it fully has been where they haven't sort of had that clear plan, had that plan to sort of um, train and educate their users so that they can get the most from the technology rather than seeing it the same as everything else where it's it's almost like a hindrance. Would you say that's a fair Yeah, 100%. Statement? Um, and, uh, you know, the practices, even when they were adopting things during COVID, the ones that did it most successfully, as you say, were the ones that had that plan, um, had the training for yeah. their staff and and got them on board. I think there's there's two other things which are more to do with the technology themselves. And, and the yes. first is having technology that integrates of the practice management system um, seems to be fundamental to the success in its adoption. Um, if people have got to sort of transcribe between two different systems um, and they've, they've got to sort of be looking up things on one system whilst using another system, it, it does put barriers in the way of its use. Um, and although yes. you know, training can help to some extent, expecting veterinary teams to change their workflows significantly um, just to adopt a new technology um, it is a big ask. Um, so it's easier if new technologies work within existing workflows. Um, and technologies are, are sort of um, obvious to use and intuitive. Um, and then to some extent, yes. the training is, you know, less important um, and, and or, or less, less onerous, should I say. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And I think I tell you, what, I could talk for hours about the PMS component, as that is one of my major frustrations, as I'm sure it is yours, um, as there are some obviously PMS platforms that are absolutely brilliant when it comes to integrations, but then there are some others that make it quite difficult um, and make it very difficult for external technologies to be able to come in and enhance the veterinary world, uh, which is what I've noticed. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll save that for another day. <laughs> um, so obviously I'm in full support of the technology. Crazy for me not to be considering my technology background. Um, I can see that there are obviously some huge benefits that telemedicine can provide, such as allowing clients greater access to their vets, even if they may be in, say, um, geographically remote areas. Um, it's great for triaging as the client can quickly and easily find out whether a vet visit is necessary, which in turn then can reduce the stress for the animal as it ultimately would avoid any unnecessary vet visits. One of the serious benefits that I've seen is the speed of access to the vet um, 
obviously because it's increased. A big caveat here if the technology is, you know, again, ad- adopted and, and embraced correctly, um, which then provides a greater client and vet experience, which, you know, we've all kind of become accustomed to, especially with the whole COVID um, situation. You know, we, we've all become more accustomed to these types of technologies based on, you know, the situation. Now, for anyone that's not properly utilising telemedicine within practice, are there any other benefits to the technology that you would say? Oh, well, I think you've done like a really comprehensive um, uh, list there, Jack, and I, and I fully agree with, with all of those. Um, the one thing that I would say is that um, it just reduces barriers. And, and I think you've sort of... Um, you, you sort of referred to that in, in some of the answers that you gave with triage, but um, rather than necessarily always triage being about telling somebody that they don't need to come in, sometimes it's about a, a very low effort step and a low energy step for the client to telling them that they do need to come in and forming that relationship with them to explain why they actually need to bring their pet um, into the vet. We, we were working um, on our telemedicine platform for a year before COVID um, broke out. Um, and we were very much looking at telemedicine being maybe three out of 10, 10 visits in a particular journey um, that a client took with a vet. So you might have telemedicine in the first instance where somebody's not really sure if they need to come into the vets, um, and then uh, you might then need to obviously bring the pet into the vets. And that's going to be just such an incredibly um, central part of the veterinary experience for all of the you know, sort of foreseeable future um, for treatment, diagnostic, surgery, all that type of thing. But then it might be that one of the follow-ups can be via video. And then it might be that as a repeat prescription um, check is being organised, that that can be done over telemedicine as well. And there are enormous and very yeah. substantial benefits to clients in doing that. We, we um, did a survey of 998 pet owners um, just prior to COVID, um, talking, asking them about the problems that they faced um, physically getting their pet to the vets. Um, and it, it was just really eye-opening, actually, to see things from that perspective. I think too often as a vet, you just see the client in front of you and you, you don't understand the journey that they've been on to get to you. Um, but pet owners in our survey were talking about um, struggling with small children um, to come to the vets, um, uh, getting stressed um, about trying to find a parking space. Uh, and then a lot of them very, very empathising so sort of closely with their pets and understanding that their pet was stressed as it came to the vet and that in turn made them very stressed. Yes. Um, just catching the pet can be problematic for some people, that can also affect any medicine treatments, to be fair. Um, and uh, people talking about trouble climbing stairs, um, cat carriers hurting their arms. Um, so there's a whole range of accessibility issues and even putting up, even saving clients one visit to the vet out of three is an enormous benefit to them um, and that's very much the way that, that we think um, about telemedicine and and reducing those barriers you know like I said earlier it's, it's not just nicer for people it's actually better for the veterinary business and, and better for animal welfare so in the same survey that we did of 998 pet owners um, I think it was um, 44% um, of people, um, if, if they were worried about their pet and they thought their pet was ill, but they deemed the pet not to be suffering, that they would leave it for a few days to see if it gets better by itself. And as we all know, as vets, often pet owners um, understanding whether the pet's suffering or not is, is not the same as a, as a vet. Um, <laughs> and so by getting any of that 44%, you know, through the door, having a video consult, because they'll have a video consult rather than come into the vets, um, you've got enormous potential yes. there um, in terms of improving animal welfare and, and you know, 
better for the veterinary business as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And, and, you know, sometimes it's down to the fact that the client doesn't even want to inconvenience the vet because they see this whole hindrance can be caused and, um, you know, headache of, like you say, of going to the practice and wasting, in some cases, the veterinary veterinary professional's time, which people don't want to do in most cases. And I suppose by having this quick and easy access to a vet, which is going to take up a lot less time, they're they're more inclined to sort of share information with the vet. So yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. And and there's some factors which I'd never considered there. So that's really interesting. Thank you very much. so, okay, so we've looked at the positive side. What about the downsides to the technology? Um, you know, I mean, such as missed business opportunities around product sales or even uh, more significantly, are we increasing the risk to, say, the animal's welfare? Um, well, I mean, those are all really good questions. And I think what we found during COVID was that the use of video changed um, quite dramatically from where we'd started and and the journey that we'd been on with vets and, and pet owners trying to understand how, how telemedicine could work. Um, and as I said, that was very much as part of a journey and step, a few steps on a journey. Um, in COVID, vets were forced to use telemedicine as an entire replacement, um, particularly in the first lockdown um, for in-person consults. And then a lot of problems emerged. And I think nearly all of those problems were due to people having to use video consults when that really wasn't the best thing, best way to have that conversation. So um, particularly um, less experienced vets, you know, complain about it, finding it very stressful, not being able to examine the pet and worrying about missing something. Um, And, uh, you know, examples and stories of of things having been missed. There's also um, problems with sort of organisation within the client's house, so the pet maybe not being there. And and we actually made some really good strides around that um, by... um, sort of helping the vets to communicate what was necessary for the video appointment prior to it. And, and I think we've pretty much um, sort of improved on on that factor. Um, and then there's all the sort of like hilarious, unforeseen things that can happen. Like you're actually seeing more of the client's anatomy than the pet's anatomy. <laughs> 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 oh, that's fantastic <laughs> oh dear <laughs> um so that's brilliant what we'd love to see is uh this te- tele-revolution become a sustained part of veterinary medicine um but do you honestly think that telemedicine is here to stay especially considering i mean one of the things that i've sort of read up on is and correct me if I've understood this incorrectly, but the RCVS have extended the ability to temporarily remotely subscribe if there's no suitable alternative. This surely means that they they have every intention to revert, which cannot surely be a positive sign for telemedicine technology. Yeah, I mean, so I'm very much focused on vet clinics, vet practices using this technology with their own clients. Um, and in that scenario, these prescription rules don't have like a a massive impact. They're certainly not the biggest challenge or the biggest factor in whether telemedicine is adopted or not, um, because you've already got that uh, patient-client relationship. Um, And as I say, outside COVID, when you're sort of seeing them physically anyway, and and this is just one sort of step on the journey, it's less of an an important deal. I I think it's far more important to the sort of um, provider's who are not associated with a bricks and mortar vet clinic uh, and I'm yeah. sort of less involved in in that world um so yeah I mean although it you know will offer more opportunity I guess to bricks and mortar practices as well um it's it's not really what we're focused on um I think we're focused on so we've, we've got on our platform still sort of 
strong use of, of video consults, people taking payments for video consults, so almost generating a new revenue stream. Um, and we're very yes. focused now on just making sure that that fits with the vet's workflow um, as easily as possible so that they're not having to work between systems, like I was saying earlier, and, and they're not having to alter what yeah. they do to use our technology. Because for us, for to be able to offer the consumer the best possible service, you have to make it as easy as possible for the vet start to actually use yes. use it and remember to fit it into their their life you know, their sort of working day no that's cool so big question where do you see the future of telemedicine within the veterinary sector um so i, I see it growing and becoming more and more important and and really sort of less differentiated from bricks and you know, a normal traditional visit it's 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 very natural yes. in all other aspects of our life to switch between in-person interactions, um, messaging, video, um, and, and that's how I see the experience uh, for vet, veterinary clinics working, um, is, is clients being able to um, order products online, um, have video consults online, book appointments online, um, view all of their vaccination records and, and pets details and keep those edited and up to date. And then also be able to message the vet in whatever way is most convenient for them, whether that's WhatsApp or, or SMS. Um, and for the yeah. vet clinic being able to um, deal with all of that, and then when they see the client, that's not in a silo. So the, when they, the receptionist that's a real-life in-person receptionist knows all of the digital interactions that have happened with that client up until that moment. No, no, absolutely. So... Do you have any advice for any practice owners or managers out there that are really looking to continue on embracing digital innovation into their practice? Um, yeah, I would say um, that staying focused on it is really key. And, you know, I know how busy they all are at the moment and what stressful circumstances they're all operating under. And really it is a challenge enough just to get through the day, I think, in, in most vet clinics at the moment. But I think putting a bit of time aside to look into at this adoption of technology, making sure that we keep up with other sectors, um, our clients, the consumers in all the other industries, so their experience of digital has sort of gone up a, a whole notch with COVID um, and, and they're much yes. more technological than they were. And, and so we need to make sure that we don't become a, a sort of archaic in the way that we, or to appear to be archaic in the way that we deal with clients compared to other industries. Couldn't agree more. Susie, thank you so much for coming onto the show. Now, before we finish, can you tell me a bit more about Vet Help Direct and where people can find you? Yeah, sure. So um, we, uh, Vet Help Direct is, um, uh, at the centre of Vet Help Direct is a website. We have 5 million visitors a year. That's our, our current run rate. Um, and we are aiming to take people that are browsing the internet, hoping to find the answer to all their problems and engage them through our interactive symptom checker, our information, and then help them to understand that they need a vet practice and then make it as easy as possible for them to choose the right vet practice for them and for their pets. Um, so we know that there's lots of difference between vet practices and it's pretty hard for consumers to be able to understand what those differences are. And then it's often quite hard to be able to interact with the clinic. So we're just trying to reduce all those barriers. Um, and our software, um, the appointment booking and the client portal and the product ordering sits between the marketplace and our vet clinic so that it's as easy as possible to get in touch um, with, you, with a new vet. That's perfect. Susie, thank you so much. Thank you, Jack. Recommended reading. 
Every week we ask veterinary professionals and experts to suggest a best business book for our listeners. This week's recommendation is from imposter buster Dr. Katie Ford. I had to think a little bit on this one because I am a prolific reader, but probably the most influential book for me remains quite an old one, actually. It's Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. So Viktor Frankl was an Austrian neurologist and he ended up being taken into the concentration camps in the Holocaust. And he studied people and realized that there were people that managed to find happiness even there. And he was a a psychologist as well. And he'd written a whole thesis before he went in, which was confiscated from him by the Nazis. And he then swore, I'm going to rewrite it, but had a lot of learnings there. And there's a few quotes from it that I find really, really empowering. And I definitely say, check it out. It's an old book, but it still stands so true. And the first one, and I know these off by heart because they're just so powerful, but he says, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. And another one which really resonates with me, having gone through a few years of really dark times, which I just touched on there, but obviously I, I did get appropriate help and came through it, is what is to give light must endure burning. And I just look at that and think, you know what, that's so right in terms of I went through all of that and that is why I feel so empowered to be like, you know what, there's another side to this and that's why I'm so passionate. And the the final one, which again, and it just sums up when you look at what's happened and what he went through in this book is, everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of human freedoms to choose our own attitude in any given set of circumstances and choose our own way. And so I definitely recommend that book. Just it's not a long book, but it's just a fascinating one. And even though it's it's 50, 60, 70 years old now, it's still applicable now. It's it is a game changer. Coming up next week, we welcome co-founder and CEO of Flexi, Sylvia Janska, who'll be talking to us about flexible working in the veterinary industry. The employers were very open-minded about this, but they just didn't know how to implement it. And you know, everybody needs flexible working to some extent, but there needs to be sort of a two-way flexibility, sort of a give and take approach between the employer and the employee to make it work. That's it for this episode. All links and recommendations we talked about are in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast if you found it useful. In the meantime, thanks for listening and see you next time.